welcome to the very first episode of Fringe Appalachia. The Appalachian Mountains have a storied history woven together by decades of people who've often and proudly lived on the fringes. Here, we're all a little unconventional in our own right. Fringe Appalachia exists to demystify the other, whether they be in our midst or outside of our comfort zones. From the old-timers still living off the grid to the snake handlers, halfbacks, and dreaded Southern Democrats, you're all welcome here on the fringes. I'm so excited to welcome Alan Cook. Alan is the author of Moonshine, Murder, and Mountaineers, the Wildest County in America, an ode of sorts to the county that he and I both currently call home. I'm sure he'll have lots of good stories to share and insights to offer. So Alan, to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about where this idea for the book came from? So I'd, uh, from my grandpa, he would tell me stories of uh, occurrences. He'd point to a ridge sitting on his porch when I was a kid and say, yeah, son, over there on that ridge, uh, uh, so-and-so got killed going to a moonshine still, and he'd tell stories, and uh, my brother and I'd sit out there and listen to him, and after he passed away, we'd be walking in the woods hunting or fishing certain areas where his stories, he'd point to where they occurred, and we was like, how true are those? I love those stories, and we'd start talking about them, and so I decided to uh, go back and research the stories and as I researched I started finding newspaper headlines from Mitchell County uh, which included Avery County pre-1911 of how we were one of the most lawless places in the nation so if you take the time of about 1900 1890s you know the wild west was kind of tamed so the last of the lawless places was in the mountains where there wasn't good roads, where people, uh, you know, were self-sufficient. They were independent folks. They resented big government coming in and telling them what to do, especially if it was related to making liquor. Uh, you know, I'd done my brew for uh, five generations, and all of a sudden somebody's telling me what to do with my corn and my water. Um so anyways, it made, a, it, it made for uh, some really interesting stories because there's two sides to every story. So from the law's perspective, you know, they were trying to do their job. But then from the mountain folks' perspective, they had an independent spirit and they were uh, very resentful of someone not respecting their property rights, especially over a matter of taxes. Mitchell is one of the far western counties where blood runs fast and hot, where hip pockets are made for pistols, and the inhabitants know how to use them. That's a quote from the introduction of Alan's book. And for good reason, y'all have sold a lot of copies to date. So tell us, where was the first place that you started selling? We got 50 books, and it was about the week after Thanksgiving. And I was like, well, how do I sell books? It's like, I don't know. Let me just take them and to a bookstore and the only bookstore I could think of was Dellinger's Christian bookstore. So I take in the book moonshine murder and Mountaineers, <laughs> the wildest <laughs> County in America about moonshine lynchings, shootouts. And I take it to the Christian bookstore 
<laughs> yeah, I know. I'm la- I'm laughing, thinking back at it. It's like, all right, Lord, <laughs> we're going to the Christian bookstore with my uh, Moonshine Murder Mountaineer book. So, anyways, I brought it in there and I explained to uh, the lady who owned the store. Said, "Well, I've written this new book and it's it's local history, it's true stories, and you know, it's it's just history." And she goes, "Oh, Alan, my my folks love that kind of stuff. If it's true stories." You know, we're glad to sell it. So uh, the book just got traction, and I learned that a new customer. I learned that outsiders, not locals, like my book. They uh, look at those mountains, and uh, they they wonder what happened when they look out the window of their second home or on vacation. They walk a ridge. They're really interested in the local history. So, it, you know, six years, seven years later, the book still sells. I did find out something while I was working, since I work in the small business stuff. Um, what pirates are to the beach, moonshiners are to the mountains. So I, I hit my tourist sales, and my seasonal folks really liked it. And that angle was uh, what a lot of them really found intriguing. I got another book I hope to have out this fall. It's an old book about family history more, but it's those stories my grandpa would tell me. And it's called In the Shadow of the Rhone, Stories from Days Long Past. So what is uh, one of your favorite characters you've researched? What's their story? Oh, yes. Yeah. So in the Moonshine Murder Mountaineer book, there is one character that I was... Well, there's really two, but I'll tell you, my my first one was a guy named Aaron Wiseman. Mm-hmm. And so back around the 1880s and 1890s, this young feller, probably in his teens, named Aaron Wiseman was the son of the sheriff of Mitchell County from a little region called Three Miles. So you got to remember, Mitchell County is not Mitchell County. It's Mitchell and Avery before 1911. Well, he's the son of the sheriff. And uh, he sneaks off, and he, he has him a liquor business going. Now, we call it moonshine. I know some people do, but locals call it liquor. You, you, uh, you call it moonshine if you're a tourist. So he had him a <laughs> liquor business. He's, he made a steal. And uh, he is making, we called it blackberry brandy. And uh, he'd also make corn liquor and everything else. But, but Aaron would, uh, would run the steal, and he'd sell to everybody and, Right under the nose of the sheriff and the marshals and stuff, he had a good setup going for many years till a guy turned him in, and his name was Isaac Osborne. And so uh, people back in the 1890s in the mountains, if you crossed them, there was probably going to be bloodshed. Well, uh, a knock comes on this guy that turned in a steel uh, on the door of the guy who turned him in in the middle of the night, and... Dogs are barking, so he gets up out of bed, and he goes and answers the door, and he says, oh, don't worry about the dogs. They won't bite, and boom, he is shot standing in the door of his home, and he's lying on the do- floor, and he's, he's, his wife is tending to him, looking at him, and uh, he, he looks up at her, and he says, you know, I, I'm dying you to just get on out and escape. So she runs with the baby down through the woods at night to the neighbor's house. And the uh, murder 
has several arrested, but it's never really found evidence to convict anyone. So the suspect, they said, was this Aaron Wiseman guy. But he also had two accomplices, a guy named Snipes, last name of Snipes, and another in Sneed. So anyways, the, to talk about the story, Aaron Wiseman gets off. He does not get convicted, and rumor swirls, and a lynch mob is said to have maybe came and to get him and lynch him. But he's able to kind of weasel around that, and that's a story for you to read maybe. But at the end of it, he uh, gets involved in a family feud down off the mountain near Marion in Glen Alpine, and this guy has a he, – he wants to get revenge on someone, so he calls Aaron Wiseman as his hired gun. So, you know, they get somebody out of the mountains to be the hired gun. And, uh, you know, there's just a lot of – this guy's life is really interesting. So as the hired gun, he kills one of the rivals in a feud, and Aaron Wiseman gets sent to prison. But then he gets pardoned toward the end. But then after he's pardoned, he dies of natural causes at an early age. But he's just – you know, you think of the life of some of these folks. They're outlaws. They're free and wild. There's an independent spirit in them you can't help but admire. But then there's a killing spirit. Oh, I don't know <laughs> if it's a killing spirit, but these guys are also ones that, you know, you you might sit back and look over their life, but then there was a rough and tough side of mm-hmm. them that you mess with them. You're, you're probably, if you're not shooting back, you're going to be dead. So uh, that was one of the ones that uh, in that book that I thought was neat. And then there's another one that's uh, a guy by the name of Monroe Garland. He reminds me of Billy the Kid. He had killed like five guys in over his life, and uh, the sheriff comes to get him, and the sher- and he sends word to the sheriff, "You better uh, you better have a hearse wagon, I guess is what you know. And still, you don't have cars back then; they had a wagon." Uh, if you're coming to get me. And so the sheriff and his deputy go up into the backwoods to find him. They go to his mom and dad's house and can't find him there. They go to his friends, and they finally come up on him. And the sheriff comes up behind him and grabs him by the arm and says, come on, son. And the boy has a, uh, a pistol under his jacket, and he turns around and shoots the sheriff in the chest. And then makes a run for it. Well, the deputy shoots Monroe Garland as he's crossing a fence. It's uh, shots flying everywhere. The uh, deputy has a bullet hole through his coat where if it would have went over an inch, Monroe, the outlaw, would have got both of them. Um, So to make a long story short, they rush the sheriff to medical assistance, and they think he's going to die, but he ends up surviving. Monroe dies, the outlaw, but he went down with a fight, and it's like, you know, what you would hear on newspapers around the country had the right dime store novel got, novelist got that story. Very interesting. Well, Monroe Garland is a distantly re- cousin to my wife. So needless to say, I do not make her mad. <laughs> I'm not going there. So uh, anyways, it was funny. The Garland's... Uh, there's a lot of them around. They got a proud heritage, and uh, so when I when I talk about that stuff, you know, I always talk about the two sides. You know, there's a there's a mindset on one side, and then there's one on the other. But it's really a neat neat history. How do you think that outlaw spirit or that sense of independence and value of freedom comes into play in current times? 
uh, because people like you and I were raised by these folks, great, 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 great grandchildren. The independent spirit is is still there, and it's, it's an admirable thing. It dates back to the state of Franklin. The state of Franklin wanted to be true independence. It's East Ten- northeast Tennessee, and it came over into the mountains of North Carolina just a little ways, uh, you know, kind of went over the tops of the ridges rather than up to the edges like current Tennessee does. And that independent spirit was the same folks that went down off the mountain and uh, fought the British at the Battle of Kings Mountain. You know, they were like, you know, hey, we, uh, we have learned to be self-sufficient over the generations when we settled this place, and we do not want a tyrannical government telling us what to do. And there are still people to this day that, that feel that way. And in many ways, you know, it's, it's an admirable thing. They're, they're true independent spirits. The spirit of questioning authority, there's nothing wrong with that. When uh, done from, a, from evaluating two sides with equal evaluation, I think today uh, people try to put everything in the lens of the current uh, trends that we are in. And, you know, I think that mountain people have had that done to them. Uh, you know, you'll hear my mountain accent and you'll say, all right, you know, let's knock 20 IQ points off. Yeah. Or they'll, um, they'll see that, you know, I live in the rural America and they'll uh, automatically stereotype you. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the mountain folks, Appalachian culture, has been stereotyped for many years. And the thing about us that makes us a little different is we don't care because we are independent. <laughs> I don't give a crap what they think. I'll go and do my thing. So will my heritage. So uh, we're like, uh, you can judge us. You can do whatever you want. But if you uh, underestimate me, you better watch out because uh, that's a lot of times mountain folks will do that. You say, you want to judge me by my accent? You want to knock 10 IQ points off? Go right for it. That gives me the upper hand. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like that. You know, we all have everybody's people. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it from that perspective, we all have good points. We all have bad points. We have character flaws. Um, but I don't put it to any one group, you know, and that goes across, you know, all people, people in general. You know, it's like you got good folks and you got bad folks. You got some folks that's just got a, a nature that wants to, to hurt and cause pain or things like that. And then you got folks that are, you know, they're decent folks. They want to do fair things. They want to try to, to treat people how they want to be treated. So, you know, I do look at that. I see it, you know, even working in a, a job with the state, you know, we'll go to a conference somewhere and it'll bring in all groups of people. And yeah, Alan will stand up and talk. My name's Alan Cook. I'm from the mountains <laughs> of North Carolina. No, I don't say that. I had to shoo the chickens out before I got in the truck to come down here. But that, you kind of embrace it sometimes, but uh, it is, that's kind of the mindset you, you'll be up against. And uh, like I said, I embrace it. And, uh, I don't ask for any special treatment, and I make no apologies for uh, my heritage. We lived down off the mountain for like, I went to school off the mountain, so I've been gone for about 10 years and then came back, and it was amazing how many 
just being a short distance away, how many things are so unique to this area and how I felt somewhat on the outside when I would be down there. But I also thought how much these people would feel on the outside if they came up here. There's a lot of like outsider Mm-hmm. otherdom in Appalachia and it's an interesting time in our history because so many people from other places are here now so like <clears throat> our world is getting bigger in the mountains so what do you think about the history of the other not necessarily being welcome in Appalachia um it's it's more of like a general suspicion or a general you know like oh, yeah. what do you what do you want to do what do you want to change all right yeah, yeah how does that relate in history and to now, how do oh, you yeah. see that? So, uh, you know, that's something we've always had over the years is someone, someone new comes in and, and, you know, they, they, uh, maybe they have the perspective that they're not, they're not feeling welcome. Um, but I'll tell you my experience personally with it, you know, and I, I can't really speak for a lot of stuff, but so you move in, to rural America, and I say rural America, Appalachian America is fine, but it's it's generally rural America. You move in, uh, you you start uh, going on the property you bought. Maybe you bought ten acres, and uh, that ten acres used to be everybody knew everybody. We'd all walk on that ten acres. We would fish on that ten acres, and we were neighborly with each other on that ten acres. And I'll have these people come in my office and they'll they'll move here. And the first thing they say is, You folks, you mm-hmm. folks this, you folks that, you folks yeah. this. Like they're 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 playing the role of being the outsider yeah. by being a you folks person. Mm-hmm. So I tell them, I'm like, hey, you you can't do the you folks. That's kind of like you're differentiating. You want to be a part of the community. Um let, let's get a different mindset. But okay, they come in, they get the 10 acres, they post it. They call the law on you sometimes when you're coming across land you didn't know. Uh, your your mom walks up the road and pets one of their uh, alpacas or llamas that they've moved. <laughs> yeah, they don't put in cattle. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but you folks, the you folks folks, <laughs> that, that I get tickled with it because I can laugh at it. But there is some truths to they uh, – they want the best of both worlds. So they want to look down their nose at someone they view as uh, intellectually inferior to them. A lot of times the people that have moved into the mountains, they uh, are wealthy people. They buy up a big chunk of land. Then they start running people off of it. And then they act like, well, they always think I'm an outsider. You know, here's, here's, here's an option. How about, you know, when you move into the community, you know, Throw a few olive branches out. Um, try to check in the attitude of saying, hey, you know, I'm not going to give you my opinion and I'm not going to come and educate or have the poor mountain folks, uh, you know, end up needing my uh, wise advice. You know, yeah. they got by for generations without you. How about just chilling out and talking to them a little bit about the weather and asking questions about what went on in the mountains and how the ridges are and what neat plants or how they grow their garden. Those little things right there will build some good neighbors. I have some folks that's moved in and, you know, they've uh, become better friends than uh, some of the folks I've known for generations because they came in with a mindset of just wanting to learn and then um, not really being pushy. Um, Another thing is, you know, 
the uh, cultural. If you wanna, if you wanna get in with the, if you wanna get in with mountain folks, you know, walk a mile in their shoes. Uh, you know, try to understand what they came through, what their raising might have been. You know, someone moves up here and maybe they were, they were raised in a city or they were raised with some wealth. Well, well, my mom, you know, she was raised poor. My mother-in-law and father-in-law, they were raised poor. They have a different outlook on a dollar. They have a different outlook on um, a lot. Their, their perspective is a little different. You have to, you have to learn that. Um, faith is a major player for us mountain folk. Um, we go to church. We do prize values. Um, we uh, also have our issues. We're not perfect, but I don't think the good Lord requires us to be perfect. He just requires us to have faith. Um, so anyways, we're looking at that option of, of saying, you know, when someone comes in, a lot of times they haven't felt welcome because they basically came in and they were jerks. <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah, I know. Blunt. This is mountain. This is mountain talk. Y'all were jerks. Be a little nicer. Um, we'll be nice too. <laughs> yeah. I think folks, um, a lot of times underestimate what they're walking into, that there mm-hmm. really is such an intact culture still in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, that is pretty foreign if you're not if you're yeah. not used to it, yeah. you know, and I never realized how intact or foreign it was till I started talking to other people mm-hmm. and they didn't know the expressions I was using or they didn't know what yeah. decoration was or oh, what yeah. a ramp was right. or, you know, I, I didn't realize. And a ramp that, is not something you drive up to like right. get in the back of your vehicle, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> we'll explain that on yeah. another episode. I had a, an old-timer said in the mountains, uh, an old, a statement that I, I use. It, it was a old guy by the name of Tommy Lee. I won't say his last name. He's passed and gone. But he said, today I thought I was better than fill in the blank. And I was until I thought it. That's really where it's at. It's, an, it's a battle in the mind, you know. And if you look at another person, another race, uh, Someone, whether they're from Appalachian mountain culture or they're from northern culture or southern culture, whatever, and you start thinking you're better, well, you pretty much blew it then. Because yeah. once you start that mindset of thinking you're better than somebody, and you might might lay out a good case for it, but guess what? You just built pride in your mind, and that pride, uh, that comes before a fall a lot of times, but mm-hmm. that does poison a person. That's definitely a wise word. Um, And I just want to thank you for taking your time to share not only your historical perspective on Appalachia, you have a wealth of knowledge on that, obviously, but also your perspective on current Appalachian culture and how we can all continue living in it well together. Uh, So do you have anything else you want to share before we sign off? You know, I just say that, you know, I, I love my Appalachian culture. And I like the independence of it. I like the self-sufficiency of it. We grow gardens. A lot of us do. A lot of us still do. We can our food. Um, you know, we, we know where things come from. It's a rich heritage. And I would invite you to embrace it and try to learn about it. But, you know, we, I just always say, you know, we, uh, we try to be merciful and give grace to folks. And 
you know, if you're a person that's moved in and you can go that route, I think you're going to find that you will be uh, loved, appreciated, and embraced by many of those in the community. You got bad folks anywhere you go. Mm -hmm. And so um, I look at my Appalachian culture and I'm, I'm very proud of it and the fact that there's some solid folks that's came out of the mountains and mm -hmm. some solid folks that are still here. Um, you know, that's something I like. My dad's side of the family down off the mountain around Concord, there's some great folks that way as well. But, you know, since the context today is talking about the mm -hmm. Appalachian culture, I, I love my, my mom's side of the family, that Ledford Burleson. My wife's a Garland, so these are all mountain names. Um, we might be related, Ledford's. Yeah, well, like, yeah, yeah, I mom's. Ledford's and Bakersville. All right. And Bear Creek. Bear Creek, yeah. Mm -hmm. There might be some crossing of paths yep. right there. That's the thing. Okay, see that, folks? <laughs> so here's another mountain thing before I, I close it up. Uh, we can talk about each other, the expression, like a dog, but you better not join in if you're not related. <laughs> that's true. So that's, that's a mountain thing. I, I've, I've even seen a... I've seen that happen, and uh, it gets me tickled. You know, we'll go in there and give someone down the road that's a family member. It's like, all right, you know, he needs to stop this. He needs to quit doing that. And why is he doing it? I don't understand that one. And then somebody join in that's not in the family. You know, you're right. And you know what else I saw? Hey, you be quiet. You're talking <laughs> about my cousin. Uh, so, yeah, that's a funny. There's quirkiness and everything. And, you know, you just got to you gotta have to learn it and like it and, figure it and sometimes you don't like it but it's just part of the human experience <laughs> thank you so much to alan cook for being on this episode of fringe appalachia as we go throughout the rest of this season i hope that you'll stick around and hear a lot more stories from a lot more people some with really similar experiences and some with different experiences but all with wonderful stories to tell that we can learn from Thanks again for being here, and we'll see you next time on Fringe Appalachia.